All right, let's open our Bible to Exodus chapter 30. Exodus 30. We're going to, um, we're going to finish Exodus 30 today. That's the plan, Stan. All right, we're in verse 17. So, um, so we're continuing to look at the tabernacle. So today we're going to learn about the water, the oil, and the incense of the tabernacle. The water, the oil, and the incense. These are three crucial elements in Israel's worship of God. They were crucial parts of worshiping God in the tabernacle. And they correspond to, and they are equally or more crucial in our worship of God today. So let's read the text together, beginning in verse 17 of Exodus 30. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, You shall also make a laver of bronze with its base also of bronze for washing. You shall put it between the tabernacle of meeting and the altar, and you shall put water in it. For Aaron and his sons shall wash their hands and their feet in water from it. When you go into the tabernacle of meeting, or when you come near the altar to minister, to burn an offering made by fire to the Lord, they shall wash with water lest they die. So they shall wash their hands and their feet lest they die. And it shall be a statute forever to them, to him and his descendants throughout their generations. Moreover, the Lord said to Moses, saying, Also take for yourselves quality spices, 500 shekels of liquid myrrh, half as much sweet-smelling cinnamon, 250 shekels, 250 shekels of sweet-smelling cane, 500 shekels of cassia, according to the shekel of the sanctuary, and a hen of olive oil. And you shall make from these a holy anointing oil." An, oint, an ointment compound according to the art of the perfumer. It shall be a holy anointing oil. With it you shall anoint the tabernacle of meeting and the ark of the testimony, the table and all its utensils, the lampstand and its utensils, and the altar of incense, the altar of burnt offering with all of its utensils, and the laver and its base. You shall consecrate them that they may be most holy, and whatever touches them must be holy. And you shall anoint Aaron and his sons and consecrate them that they may minister to me as priests. And you shall speak to the children of Israel, saying, This shall be a holy anointing oil to me throughout your generations. It shall not be poured on man's flesh, nor shall you make any other like it. According to its composition, it is holy and it shall be holy to you. Whoever compounds any like it or whoever puts any of it on an outsider or a stranger shall be cut off from his people. And the Lord said to Moses, take sweet spices and stacha and ancha and galbum and pure frankincense with these sweet spices, there shall be equal amounts of each. And you shall make of these an incense, a compound according to the art of the perfumer, salted, pure, and holy. And you shall beat some of it very fine and put some of it before the testimony in the tabernacle of meeting where I will meet with you. And it shall be most holy to you. But as for the incense which you shall make, you shall not make any for yourselves according to its composition. It shall be to you holy for the Lord. Whoever makes any of it to smell it, he shall be cut off from his people. That is the word of the Lord. Father, we thank you for this word. We thank you for your gospel in this word. We ask that you would open our hearts and our minds today and reveal Christ to us that we would see him that we would be transformed by that image as we look as we seek the face of your glory in the face of your son the Lord Jesus Christ we ask this father for your glory in Jesus name amen 
Okay, so we have here the water, the oil, and the incense. We have the laver, which contains the water. We have the recipe for the anointing oil. This is the oil that would be made, and then Aaron and his sons, the priest, would be anointed with this oil, and then all of the tabernacle and the furnishings would be anointed with this oil to set them apart, to mark them as holy from the Lord. And then you have the incense, all of these spices that were, were combined together, ground up, and then this incense was burnt on the altar of incense. And that smoke that rose up from that altar of incense uh, was the sweet-smelling aroma that rose up before the Lord. The laver represents the living word of God. The laver is the word of God. This is what that laver with that water represented there in the tabernacle and also later on in the temple. The anointing oil symbolizes the Holy Spirit that, Mo, that Aaron, Moses anointed Aaron and his sons with this oil. This is symbolic of the Holy Spirit that each believer is anointed with. And the incense are the prayers of the saints. They're your prayers and my prayers that go up before the Lord, the Lord of the whole earth. I want you to think about that. This is not just a God you're praying to. This is the God, the Lord, the creator, the Lord of the whole earth. And our prayers are as the incense that goes up before his throne, a sweet-smelling aroma. A couple of things to point out in, this, uh, in these verses that we read. You'll notice really a warning in each section. So the warning that was given concerning the laver and the water was that Aaron and his sons were not to go into the tabernacle of meeting, and they were not to go to the altar without washing their hands and their feet, lest they die. In giving the recipe of the anointing oil, it was, there was a warning that said this oil was not to be put on flesh. And we're going to talk about this. Obviously, it was put on Aaron and put on his sons, but what's meant by that is this was not oil to be used by the common person. This was not oil that you use to hydrate your dry hands from the desert heat. This was a holy oil. It was specifically formulated and made to anoint the priest and the tabernacle and to set those things apart. And then with the incense... The incense was to be burnt on the altar, the golden altar of incense. This was representative of the prayers that went up before the Lord. This incense was not to be used in their homes, in their tents, like we would use a scented candle or a potpourri or an incense burner to make our house smell good. These, all of these things were specific things. They were holy the word holy simply means they were set apart, they were sanctified for a specific purpose in the Lord. So let's look at these. Let's begin with the laver. The laver that represents the word of God. God commanded Moses, you shall make a laver of bronze for washing. And God commanded that the priests be clean when they ministered inside the tabernacle or outside at the altar Offering sacrifice. The priest was to wash his feet and his hands each time he approached the altar or the tent, and failure to do so would result in death. Now, obviously, there's, there's something here we might think about. You might think, well, how did the priest wash his hands and his feet and then walk across the dirt and his feet not get dirty? Or touch that animal and, and his hands not get dirty. That's not the point. We're not talking about dirt here. We're talking about something that is symbolic and representative. It's very purposeful that God commanded that the hands and the feet of the priest be washed. And it was symbolic that whatever he put his hands to and wherever his feet carried him, 
it was to be in accordance with the holiness and the righteousness of God. This was a ceremonial or a symbolic cleaning, but it was absolutely something that had to be taken seriously, so seriously that God said, if you fail to do this, you will die. And we see this later on when Aaron's sons present what what the Bible terms as strange fire. They offer strange fire to the Lord. And the moment they did that, the fire came out and it consumed Aaron's sons and killed them. And so this was, this was serious. And Moses and Aaron and his sons were to understand this. This is why sometimes in our modern day, in our modern understanding, which is not always correct, just because we have smartphones doesn't mean we're smart. This is why in our modern sensibilities, we read a scripture like this and we see where God says, wash your hands and wash your feet before you approach my tent or my altar. If not, you will die. And we say, oh, that's the God of the Old Testament. That's not the God we serve today. Jesus is love and Jesus would never do that. When in reality, we serve the same God today as the God we see right here recorded for us in Exodus 30. The same God who caused fire to consume uh, the sons of Aaron is the same God who demands that we be clean and pure and holy before we approach him. Otherwise, we die. We have no hope of life. So we too must be clean to approach God and live. The good news is Jesus has made a way for us to do that. So listen to Jesus speaking to his disciples. Now Jesus is talking to his disciples, but I might ask, do you consider yourself a disciple of Jesus? And if you do, then even though Jesus did not speak these these words directly to you, Jesus spoke these words for you and for me. Jesus speaking to his disciples, John 15, 3, you are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. What does the laver and the water in that laver represent? It represents the word of God. Jesus says to his disciples, you are already clean because of the word which I've spoken to you. Jesus is praying to his father before he is taken to be crucified, before he is arrested in the garden. Jesus is praying and Jesus prays to his father John 17, 17, sanctify them. He's talking about his disciples, which includes us. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. So what does God's word do? God's word cleans us. God's word sanctifies us. Listen to Paul writing to the church about what Christ has done for us. Ephesians 5, 26. Verse 26, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. This is Paul writing to the church. He is writing in this section of of Ephesians chapter 5, and he's using marriage as the metaphor to, to demonstrate, to show us, to picture for us in graphic detail the picture, the relationship between Christ and his church. What's interesting in Ephesians 5, 26 When Paul writes that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that word, that Greek word there for the washing is literally speaking of the labor. So here is the literal way that we could hear this, and here is the literal way that Paul would have understood this when he wrote this, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the labor of water by the word. That's exactly what that term, the washing, is picturing for us there. It's picturing the laver of water. The laver of water in the tabernacle, the laver of water in the temple that represented the word of God that cleanses us, that washes us. Or listen to Paul write to Titus in Titus 3.5. 
talking about our salvation, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing or through the labor of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. The water that sanctifies and cleanses us is pictured for us in the laver. The water in the laver of the tabernacle and the temple is symbolic of God's word that cleans us, sanctifies us, and saves us through the regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. This is why in Paul's letter to the Ephesians, he talks about how Christ will present to himself a clean and spotless bride through the washing of the water of the word. Listen to Ezekiel 36, 25 through 27. The prophet writes, Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean. This is what the Lord is going to do for his people. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness, from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them. This is God's promise to his children. This is what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. Again, in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, For by grace you have been saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. So our salvation is by grace through faith. And the scripture teaches us that faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Romans chapter 1, verses 16 through 17. Paul writes, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. Paul also writes in Romans ten seventeen that Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Our salvation is not just our escape from hell. The gospel of God's word, the message of our salvation and hope through Jesus Christ, it is the power of God to salvation. It is the Holy Spirit that is working in us through the word of God, bringing men to salvation. And the salvation that God has given us is not just our escaping hell. It is our union with Christ in his life. This is what saves us. What saves us is not God giving us some power to live a moralistic life. What saves us is that God takes away the old. He gives us a new heart. He makes us a new creation. He raises us up in him and he joins us in union with his life. Or Paul writes it this way in Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith or by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. He goes on and he writes, I do not set aside the grace of God for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. So salvation is our eternal, spiritual, emotional, and physical wholeness that is found only in the abundant life that is given to us in Jesus Christ. The laver of water is a picture of the word of God. Christ is the living word of God who has purchased us with his own blood. We belong to him. We are not our own. Our salvation is best understood by knowing whose we are, not by what we have. We often think of salvation as something that God gives us, but salvation is who has taken hold of us. Salvation is who possesses us now. Christ is our salvation. 
Salvation is not a membership card God gives you. Salvation is not some something that we carry around and we flash to prove that we belong to him. Salvation is Jesus Christ taking hold of you, crucifying you with him, raising you up in his life and making you one with him in his resurrection life. The labor pictures for us the word of God. And we are to let his word dwell in us richly. These are the words of the Apostle Paul in Colossians 3, 16 and 17. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. He goes on in verse 23 of Colossians 3, and he says, And whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men. Whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men. What we do in Christ, which is everything we do if we are in Christ, you get that, right? What you do in Christ is not just what you do here on Sunday morning. What you do in Christ is not just what you do when you pray or when you read your Bible, however often that is. If you are in Christ right now, that means everything you do, you do in Christ. That means everything you do, you are to do as unto the Lord. So that means... Everything from brushing your teeth on Monday morning to offering your tithe on Sunday morning, we are commanded to do as unto the Lord and not to men. This requires that we know what is acceptable to the Lord, and this is where the Word of God comes in. How are you going to know what is acceptable to God if you don't know what His Word says? You say, well, Pastor, I just go by my feelings then you don't know what the Word says because the Word says your feelings are, decept are deceptive. You say, well, I just follow my heart. Well, that's great if you're living according to Hollywood standards because they tell you all the time, follow your heart. That's what Walt Disney loves to tell people. All those nice little cartoons and fairy tales are teaching our children we just need to follow our hearts. Parent, you better be there beside your child reminding them that the Bible says following your heart is going to lead you to a bad place because the heart is deceptively wicked above all things, Jeremiah writes. If God has given you a new heart, though, if he's taken your heart of stone and given you a heart of flesh and you have a new heart and a new spirit that's conformed to Christ, now you might have a heart that you can follow if your heart is a heart for God. So we need to be careful about what heart we're following. We need to be careful what feelings we're giving place to because if they're not informed by the word of God, they're going to deceive us. And so this is the importance of God's word. Hebrews 4, 12 and 13, listen to what the writer of Hebrews says. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, and joint and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart and there is no creature hidden from his sight but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account this is the power and the beauty of the new covenant we do not serve a god who dwells separated from us behind a veil any longer in Christ, the veil has been removed. The writer of Hebrew uses this imagery of the tabernacle to help us understand this reality. So Hebrews 4 that I just read to you tells us what the Word of God does. The Word of God opens us up and it reveals who we truly are. It's not that God needs to find out who we are. He knows who we are. What the Word of God does is open us up and it allows us to see who we are. This is also why that water in that mirror, in that laver, was also like looking into a mirror. 
And this is what the Word of God is like. The Word of God is like looking into a mirror. And when you look into the Word of God, it opens up your heart and it allows you to see who you are in relation to Christ. Now listen to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19. Therefore, brethren, having boldness, remember, we don't serve a God any longer who lives behind a veil. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he consecrated for us through the veil, that is his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience, listen, and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. In other words, the writer of Hebrews 2,000 years ago said we shouldn't be assembling less, we should be assembling more. And Jesus has now taken away the veil. He has removed that veil. He has opened the way for us to come. Christ is the living word that now dwells in us. He is present with us. And this is why we assemble together. We do not assemble hoping and praying that God shows up. Now some people might do that. You might say, man, I sure hope God shows up when I get to church today. Listen. If he's in you and you're here, then he showed up. He's not here waiting to see whether we're worthy for him to show up here today. He's not listening to whether the the worship musicians strike the first chord of music correctly to decide whether he's going to show up here today. He's here because you're here, because Christ dwells in you. And when we assemble together, Christ is is here. And we assemble together not so that Christ will come to this place. We assemble together because Christ lives in this place. He lives in you. He lives in me. And he commands us to come together, to assemble together as his body. How well would your body function if it was disassembled? How well does your car work if you start disassembling the parts of your car? It it doesn't work very well. Go and take all four tires off your car and see how well your car drives down the road without tires. You know why you keep your tires on your car? Because your car doesn't work well if you don't have your tires on there. Your car works better when everything is assembled together and it's functioning. This is the picture of the body. This is why we assemble week in and week out. This is why God commands it. Because it reminds us that we're a body and we are created to function together. We do not function alone. We do not function apart. Jesus came to us because there was no way for us to come to him. He's already shown up. This is the mystery that God has revealed now. Colossians 1.27, Paul writes to them, and that them includes us. He's talking about the Gentiles. To them, to the nations, God will to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles. That is among the nations of the world. This mystery is Christ in you, the hope of glory. The mystery once hidden but now revealed is Christ in you. He is the only hope. And the only glory that we have. He is faithful and he has promised that he will never leave us. And that he will never forsake us. Hebrews again. The writer of Hebrews reminds us of this. 13.5 Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear 
what can man do to me? We need to remind ourselves of that sometimes. It's easy in the world we live in with all of the things that press against us, that pull us in every direction. It's easy for us to forget that promise. It's easy for us, even in the midst of all the activity and the busyness, to feel isolated, to feel alone. Feeling isolated and alone very often has nothing to do with whether there are people rubbing against you in the moment. Feeling isolated and alone is what happens in your heart and in your mind. And we need to remind ourselves that God has promised to never leave us, to never forsake us, that we are never alone, that we are never without help. We can be content because God will never leave us. The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Jesus Christ came, he lived, he died, and he lives again. And if you are in Christ, you may rest assured that Christ dwells in you now, and he will never leave you, he will never forsake you. He is the word made flesh that dwelt among us. He is the living word of God who now dwells in us. By the Holy Spirit. He came and he will come again. And we will see him face to face. Truly the Lord is our helper. Who presents. Who is present with us. Who presents us to the Father. This is what Jesus said to his disciples. He said I go to prepare a place for you. You know the way. They said no Lord we don't know the way. He said I am the way. The truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. We have no reason to fear, for he has made us clean and he brings us to the Father. That is the water. The oil of anointing represents the Holy Spirit. Now, here's the thing. When we start talking about the Holy Spirit the Holy Spirit who lives on the inside of us. And, and we very often like to do this and say that we, well, I'm, I'm just led by the Spirit. I've, I've actually had people tell me this. You put too much emphasis on the Scripture, on the Bible. You just need to be led by the Spirit. My question is, how in the world can you be led by the Spirit if you don't know what God's Word says? Because John writes, test the spirits and see whether they be of God. Well, how are you going to test a spirit and see whether it be of God if you don't know what God has declared in his word? Well, I'm just going to go by that feeling. Really? You don't think there are false spirits who can make you feel certain ways? Again, you may believe that because you don't read your Bible. And this is the importance of the Word of God. When we begin to talk about the Holy Spirit, which is what the anointing oil represents, that's why these things work together. The anointing with oil was not a substitute for the washing with water. And the washing with water was not a substitute for the anointing with oil. It required both or it didn't go so well with the priesthood. The holy anointing oil that was to anoint all, all the temple, all the tabernacle, all the altars, all the furnishings, all the utensils, and the priests symbolizes the Holy Spirit of God. Israel was forbidden to reproduce it for common use because it is holy. It's set apart for that specific purpose. The anointing oil could not be applied to a stranger, to an outsider. It was only for the priesthood. Now this is, let's go to Ephesians chapter 2 verse 19 and, and we may better understand why Paul writes what he writes here. Ephesians 2.19, we're going through Ephesians on Wednesday night. Now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners but fellow citizens of the saints and members of the household of God. The holy anointing oil, God commands Moses, he said you cannot put it on a stranger, on an outsider. It was only for Aaron and his sons and the priesthood that descended by birth. Paul is, in Ephesians is talking to these Gentiles who are not Jews by birth. 
But he says, you were outsiders, you were strangers, but now you are no longer strangers because you've been brought near by the blood of Christ. Here's the good news, church. We're no longer strangers. God has anointed us. He has put his spirit in us because he has brought us near and he has made us one with him in Jesus Christ. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 5 you also as living stones are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Verse 9 and 10, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people... You are strangers, you are outsiders, but are now the people of God who had not obtained mercy, but have now obtained mercy. In Christ, we are called a royal priesthood. In Christ, every believer is a priest to God, and we have an anointing from the Holy One. 1 John chapter 2, verse 20. John writes, but you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know all things. The Holy Spirit that dwells in us by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, that is the anointing that we have from the Holy One. And we are a royal priesthood offering up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. The holy anointing oil could not be poured out on just anyone but only on those who were priests by birth. So the Holy Spirit is not poured out on just anyone or everyone today, but only on those who are born again from above. It is still an anointing by birth. Through the prophet Joel, God promised to pour out his spirit upon all flesh. This is not a promise to give the spirit of God to every single living, breathing being on earth. This is the promise that God no longer distinguishes between Jew and Gentile. Listen to Paul in Galatians 3.26. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. There were no women priests in Moses' day. Now, we believe as a church, we don't adhere to women pastors because the New Testament is clear in its teaching that the eldership and the pastors are men. But guess what this scripture means? In the Old Testament, under the Old Covenant, there were not women priests anointed by God. What did that oil represent? It represented the Holy Spirit. What does the Bible call every believer now? The Bible says that every believer is a holy priesthood to the Lord. God doesn't look and say, well, all the men are priests, but the women are not. Now, guess who receives the holy anointing? Everyone who is in Christ. Jew, Greek, slave, free, rich, poor, male, and female. It's not just men who have the Holy Spirit. It is any believer, anyone who's trusting in Christ has received the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Your function, your vocation, those are different things. Your salvation is because God has poured his spirit into your heart. And the spirit of God dwells in you. Christ dwells in you by the spirit. He does not distinguish or discriminate based on ethnicity or sex any longer. Our identity is in Christ. The anointing of the Holy Spirit is given to all who belong to Jesus. His Spirit is given to all who have been born again and made new creations in Jesus Christ. All who belong to Jesus are no longer strangers, they're no longer outsiders, but are made a royal priesthood, his own special people, 
and they are given an anointing by the Holy One, that is the Holy Spirit. And that brings us to the incense that represents our prayers offered up to God. Now the incense was offered on the golden altar of incense, and guess what the priest had to do? The priest had to go up to the laver with the water. He had to wash his hands and wash his feet. He was wearing a garment that was sprinkled with blood, signifying that he had been cleansed by the blood of sacrifice. It is not water that cleanses us. It is the blood of Jesus that cleanses us. Water washes us. It cleanses us in a sense, but we are not ultimately made clean and acceptable to God until we are cleansed by the blood of a sacrifice. And it is the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ, his blood that ultimately cleanses us. But even still, that priest could not just say, well, I've got the blood of sacrifice on me, I'm clean. He was still commanded to go to that laver, take that water, wash his hands, wash his feet. Then he walked into the tabernacle. He walked up to that golden altar of incense. Then he could burn incense. Then he could offer prayer to the Lord. In Christ, we are called, uh, uh, in Christ, we offer incense on the altar, and this is our prayer. Revelation 8, 4, in the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints ascended before God from the angel's hand. Our prayers are able to be offered and heard because we have been made clean through Jesus Christ. The priest could not approach the altar of incense to offer up prayer until he had washed in the water and had his garment sprinkled with blood. This pictures how we are able to come before the Lord and to offer our prayers today. In Christ, we are made clean and anointed as priests unto God by his Holy Spirit, and we are given the privilege to offer our prayers, knowing that God hears us in Christ. 1 Peter 3, verse 12, For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayers, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. 1 John 5, 14 now this is the confidence that we have in him. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Don't leave out that according to his will there. Well, the Bible says I can ask anything and God has to answer me. No, here's your clarification right here. If you ask anything according to his will, he hears us. What if we are asking not according to his will. He may hear us, but he's not going to give ear to us. Parents, you understand this, right? You're, you hear your kids asking for things that you are obviously not going to get, give them. You hear them, but you're not giving ear to them. In other words, I hear what you're saying, but I'm not going to answer you. I'm not going to give you what you're asking for because what you're asking for is actually harmful for you, even though you don't know it. This is exactly what 1 John 5.14 is saying. We have this confidence that, that he hears us when we ask according to his will. Our prayers are for the Lord, just like the incense that was offered there on the golden altar was for the Lord. It was not to be taken home, wasn't to be taken into the tent and burned to make the tent smell good. This was for the Lord. Our prayers are for the Lord, offered only to him. This is why we don't pray to men. This is why we don't pray to idols. This is why we don't believe that there is a succession of mediators that get us to God. There is one mediator between God and man. It is the man Christ Jesus. We don't pray to Mary. We don't pray to saints. We pray to the Father in the name of Jesus because Jesus Christ, by his blood, has given us direct access to the Father. And this is why Jesus taught his disciples, now you pray to the Father in my name. You can now go directly to the Father in my name and ask. We don't always know what we are to pray or how we are to pray. We're never to pray presumptuously, but we are to always pray confidently. And when we don't know how to pray, when we don't know what we should pray, the Bible gives us assurance that the Holy Spirit in us is always making intercession on our behalf according to the will of God. Listen to 
Paul's letter to the Romans, Romans 8.26, Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weakness. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. Have you ever been there? Have you ever not known what you should pray? Have you ever not known how to pray for a situation? Don't let that bother you. Just give that to God and say, God, I don't know how to pray. I'm not sure what I'm supposed to pray in this situation. Guess who knows? The Holy Spirit on the inside of you knows how to pray. This is what Paul is writing here to the, to the believers. But the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. When is the Spirit of God in you not making intercession for you? He's never not making intercession for you. The Spirit of God is not there on pause waiting for you to hit the play button, waiting for you to hit the pray button. No, the Spirit of God is not waiting for you to do anything. He's the initiator. He was the one hovering over the face of darkness at creation before you and I and man was even there. Listen, the Spirit of God is on the inside of you making intercession for you according to the will of God. It's up to us to recognize, I don't know how to pray. I don't know what to pray. God, I confess my weakness. I'm trusting that your spirit in me is interceding according to your will. Let your will be done, not my will, but your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, in my life as it is in heaven, according to your will. That is a scriptural prayer for you to pray. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. That's linked right there to the spirit making intercession according to the will of God. The promise that God is working all things together for good to those who love him and are the called according to his purpose is brought to pass because the Holy Spirit himself is making intercession for us according to the good will of God. This is also why we are commanded to be anxious for nothing. Philippians 4, 6, be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. We have peace with God, for we have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus, and we have been anointed with his Spirit who is dwelling in us and is making intercession for us. He cleanses us. He washes us with the water of the Word. We have every reason to be confident and to be thankful in our prayers. And with that confidence and with that thanksgiving, we prepare ourselves to come to this table this table of thanksgiving, this table that reminds us that Jesus died for us, that Jesus spilled his blood to redeem us, that Jesus gave his life so that we could have life. The water, the oil, and the incense, the word, the spirit, and prayer, they all work together. If we don't have God's word hid in our heart, we do not understand. We will not understand. We will misunderstand and misinterpret the leading of the spirit if we don't know the truth. But through the word that washes us and renews us and fills us with the truth, we can follow the leading of the spirit. We know the voice of our shepherd and no other will we follow And our prayers will be prayers according to the will of God. They will be acceptable to God. They will be heard by God. Because we will be a people who pray according to his will. His will that has been revealed to us in his word. Illuminated to us by his spirit. So Christian, prepare your hearts. And let's come to the table. You are all welcome. The requirement is that you be a covenant member, that you be in Christ. 
If you've never trusted Jesus, I would encourage you to trust him now. If you've never called upon him, call upon him now. The Bible says if you call upon the name of the Lord, you will be saved. From the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Confess him, trust him, and come to the table and thank him for the provision he has given to us. Let's all stand. Here is your charge. I'll give you your charge and we're going to pray for the meal next door. And then we'll go next door and you're all invited to to join us for lunch today. Your charge is this, to let the word of God dwell in you richly. To let Christ dwell in you richly. That you would hide your word in your heart. Wash your mind with it. That you will never need to worry about what your hands are doing and where your feet are taking you. For you will be equipped to do all things as unto the Lord and not to men. This is the word that washes us. The word that renews us. The word that directs us. We have an anointing from the Holy One. In Christ we have the Holy Spirit. The scripture teaches us that we have the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead. And his spirit in us is strengthening us. We have an anointing and we know all things. That does not mean that we are omniscient. That means that we know the truth from the lie. We know light from darkness. We once were darkness, but now we are light in the Lord. And so we are commanded, we are charged by God to walk as children of light. Know this, that When you do not know how or what you should pray, the Spirit of God dwells in you by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And that Spirit is making intercession for us according to the will of God. And this is how we can know that God is working all things together for good. His Spirit is working in us, is working for us to bring about His good will and His glory through our lives. We are given full access to the very throne of grace. We are to come boldly into his presence. Therefore, let us enter in and bring our prayers and our petitions in humble reliance and humble repentance before him. Let us pray and let us seek that the Lord would be glorified through his church, that the Lord would heal our land. Amen.